Hello and welcome to part three of the A to Z of Scottish women's football from Leading the Line. Um, hope you're all doing well. We've got to the nitty gritty end, the Q to Z selection. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to let it talk for itself. Um, thanks very much for listening to this and thanks very much for supporting the podcast as always. Um, stay safe um, and we'll be back again soon. I won't be back at the end this time because it is actually an outro, but cheers. So we're now moving on to the later queue. Um, I'm curious to see what people have got for this, some of the options we've had. So mine is ropey as F. <laughs> so Campbell, what's your queue? Um, I ended up going with quizzes. They're sort of, again, trying to, <laughs> trying to sort of alleviate the boredom a lot of the time. There's been a heck of a lot of quizzes between between ourselves, between teams, between the sort of the ones I've had on the SFA website and things like that, the SFA Twitter, sorry, the sort of big quiz and I've done quite a lot of them as well, so quizzes seem to have been quite an integral part of them the lockdown, I just thought I'd kind of throw them in there. Yeah, I've got the same, I've said quiz nights and I was kind of going to suggest, wait, when are you going to have one, Chris? So... It's, it's been a thought. I've just been trying to figure out how I would do it and how would I get the, the most people involved in it. I think it's probably the best thing. I did I did say to Campbell at one point, we should do a quiz. And he was a bit like, oh, I don't know about that. Um, no, 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 no. You say it should be me against folk. Now, that makes me look daft in the, <laughs> the supposed experts of getting it wrong, isn't it? So, so I, I'm happy to quiz away. You do what you like. <laughs> Um, no, I think it's something um, like I'm sure both of you, I have done many a quiz with my mates now. Uh, we also had, obviously, we had a, a question, Leading the Line had a question in the SFA quiz, which was a nice little fill-up um, for that day. But yeah, I think quizzes are good. Um, I think they're going to be totally ruined by the time uh, we all get out of this. I think it's probably fair to say. <laughs> um, I actually find myself thinking, do I want to do another quiz? But I think there's definitely room for a, a women's football quiz. So I tell you what, if you're listening to this and you want a women's football quiz, let us know. We will sort you out. And if you are listening to this and we've already done one, it's probably because I've run out of things to podcast about, so we're now doing a quiz. So that's good to know. Um, are you good at quizzes? Like, what's, what's your... What, if you had a special subject in a quiz... I'll tell you what, let's flip it. Because my, my cue is, as I said, really ropey. So if you had a special round in a quiz, Callum, what would it be? Oh, probably... Probably sport because I mean, at the moment you, I think you mentioned earlier about enjoying the the lack of football to a degree. Um, I am struggling with no sport. Um, I am watching like anything on YouTube. No, necessarily. I don't watch like old football games, like full football. Like, maybe highlights, but one thing I'm, I'm kind of geeky with is Formula One. So cracking on like the races from 15 years ago, having them on the telly. Um, I'm kind of struggling with me watching racing from Hong Kong on a Wednesday and a Sunday because that's what's on the telly. Um, struggling here. Um, so sport, have to be sport. Um, I, I'm quite weird that you know, I'm, I, we might everyone might be actually really clever and might win pub quizzes because of the weird and wacky knowledge they picked up. And I'm somebody that picks up some random stuff. Like if you give me a music round of the year 2004, I'll win that hands down because it was the ultimate year of pop music. But you know, I, I'll know some great stuff, but I'll know some absolutely rubbish stuff as well. Or I'll, I should know stuff from like popular culture, but not us can we do because I've been too invested in my sport. So um, the answer is just give me a miscellaneous general mix, and I might be good, I might be bad. Yeah, that's my. I did a movie quiz with my mates the other night, and uh, usually I 
kind of romp home the quizzes, but movies is not my strong point, and I was dead last, um, which I'm fine with, because always it's just a way of kind of passing for yours. What would be your um, special subject, Campbell? I mean, again, sport, kind of mainly football, obviously the ones that jump out to you, obviously, you know, Scottish football, I know the players are both into Spanish as well. Um, I've been doing a lot, actually, with how Jonas and me are both into the Africa Cup of Nations, right? So we're kind of, there's a lot of African football chat going on as well. Um, if you want to go to TV, you're still games and things, or your Scottish kind of comedies. But at the minute, I'm a big Killing Eve fan as well. Having to watch that on a Monday morning is kind of a bit weird. But anyway, I saw that would definitely kind of be up there. And just want to plug myself as well that um, the first Pine Bovro quiz, Chris, as you know, I finished second at about 600. So it was decent, aye. But mainly sport kind of thing, even food actually, or drink. I know we make ourselves sound like pure alcoholics here, but <laughs> you know, definitely for me. So I not much a lot, not much else to do at the moment. When you, um, I've been walking. So my car's not left where it's been parked for about five weeks. I live kind of close enough to everything. I can just walk about. So I don't want to take away that option to have a cheeky wheel, and I'm being a bit bored. So yeah, no, I think that's fair. Yeah, quizzes are good. I um, I think that they definitely have a place. I've. I thought the Scottish FA one was really good. Um, I thought that was a, a good way. It was hard, but I thought it was a really good thing. And I think if you can get enough people interested in it, we'll definitely do one. So, yeah, keep your ears out. Might do one, might not. Probably will. See see what happens. Um, my cue was, right, ready for this, quite possibly the maddest game of football I've ever seen. And I talk about this game a lot, which was Blackburn United 10, Air United 9 in the first round of the Scottish Cup two years ago. Uh, it was 6-6 at full time. 8-8 at half-time of extra time, and then Blackburn United won 10-9, but they finished with nine men, and Air uh, United finished with 10. I think Blackburn had at least one of them go off injured as opposed to sent off. Um, yeah, so if you have an opportunity, there's no coverage of it, so I don't know what I'm going to say here, but I'm trying to get some, something together written about it on, on the line, so keep a wee eye out for that. But we'll move on to our um, our Um. <laughs> I had reconstruction of season, but we've kind of talked about that earlier. So I am just going to go really obvious and say, probably I'm just going to say Rangers, and that if the season were run just now, they'd be closer, but not this season. And that's just a statement, and you can go with that how you will. Okay, well, well let's let's. I think we'll talk about two points there because reconstruction we can maybe talk about slightly differently. But yeah, Rangers running close. So, Campbell, me and you and Stuart that we mentioned earlier on were asked for our opinions for the Anyone's Game mag that uh, went out recently about predictions for the season. And I can't remember who you said. Did you say Rangers eventually in the in the predictions for who's going to win the league? I'm not going to lie to you, Chris. I forgot I'd even sent predictions in until you said <laughs> that. Yeah. I, I, think I, I think I went Rangers. I'm sure Andrew had went or one of you went Glasgow City and the other two, maybe Celtic, I think. Anyway, I've, I've got Rangers, I think. I think I'm going to go and look that. Yeah, I think me and Andrew went Glasgow City, and I think Stuart. Stuart Yeah. But yeah, I think Rangers will definitely be closer. I just think the gap's too big just now to make up in a season. I think that's my thing for them. And I think watching, I think the big thing for Rangers just now is that up top, they are missing. I think Balladevai's been a very good uh, should uh, sign in in terms of commercial and obviously the reach she has. I think she's definitely she's definitely got something. She's got a good movement and a good touch, but I think that against physical defences she'll get bullied quite a bit. 
Um, that might change if Zoe Ness is fit by the time the season comes back. But at the moment, yeah, I think Rangers are, they'll definitely be closer, but they had so much down to make up um, Campbell that I think that winning it is maybe a, a little bit too far at the moment, but I'd like to hear your, your rationale for why you think they might win it. Just having looked it up, I did say Rangers. Um, we've discussed it obviously in the preview pods and that like, City are the main team you look at there, but obviously they've lost a couple of players. They make a lot of changes. I'm saying, yes, Rangers sell the card too, but I think the three of them are going, they're both they're all going to beat each other throughout the season. I think I don't think there's going to be one that's going to run away with it. I just think looking at Rangers squad, it's obviously a lot stronger and with City's potentially slightly weaker. There's the chance that you could say Rangers are a stronger team. But um, I I can't remember what I say on the preview pods either, but I just have a feeling Rangers, if they can click well, the way we've seen some of them do in some of their early pre-season games and things like that, then there is that chance that they could go on and win it. But it, it would be very tight, and it's, it's almost guesswork between the three of us. But yeah, I just think Rangers could well pinch it if it goes ahead, obviously. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you'd rule them out, and I I think it's the same as Celtic, Glasgow City, and I think we talked about it earlier on with Hibs that there's potential that they they could do something. What's what's your R, um, Campbell? Um, I went with referees after we were at Patrick Thistle to Kilmarnock too. It was a cracking game, but it was one that was almost ruined in parts by the refereeing performance, and we don't want to sit and obviously slate that because on the day Patrick Thistle and Kilmarnock were two very good sides and put on a cracking game of football, but. Obviously, the referee was kind of given fouls and bookings and what have you for everything. And obviously, Michael McDougall was sent off, and that was originally that was then rescinding things. But just a case of there seems to be a lot of complaints, even at the women's game, that sometimes the officials are kind of ruining things. And it's it's not always great to see because we're there to talk about football. But do you ever think that it does have a sort of negative impact on the games? I think that. I think that the thing with the the refereeing situation is that you're not going to get the very top referees at the moment in women's football in Scotland because it doesn't doesn't, warrant it's the wrong word, but it's in terms of the grand scheme of things, the way referees are assigned, women's football is assigned at a certain level that you're not going to get the top referees. And even if you get the top referees, the predeposition of all people is to find a way to criticise a referee. There has been some fairly mad I mean I think probably one of the standards from last season was obviously the Motherwell for for Farmington game where the, the goal was ruled out at the end yes. it was Kerry Montgomery I think it was isn't it yeah. um, yep. which if you look back actually now over the course of the season we actually had a, a fair impact when you consider that for for Farmington were so closely linked in that relegation battle with Southern University what's I, I, as you say I'm not one to kind of criticise referees because I a, understand how difficult a job it is Especially, I mean, I think maybe a bigger question in the back of this, Campbell, is, and I'll ask Callum this, one of the things I've noticed is that, and a couple of people have mentioned it to us, to me in passing, certainly at games, and and probably to yourself, sometimes games don't get the officials that they deserve, if that makes sense. So sometimes you'll have a game that only has a referee at it, where actually there should be a referee and two linesmen. Um, There's definitely like a dearth of refereeing talent, maybe the word for it, um, what's, what's your take on officials I feel it's a quite a hard gig for them in women's football Callum yeah I think I think they're at the same category level as junior referees in the men's game so um, I think that's where they're categorised at so that's the kind of level um, there's some good ones there's some that that is very tough 
um, in some games, particularly maybe the ones where it's a, a bigger top-flight team against a side at the bottom or a, a cup game. Um, I, 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 there seems to be a few young guys that, that ref at the SWPL1 level that have been around for a few years, but clearly probably will look to progress. Um, they're okay, but I think there is perhaps, and it's this kind of thing where you're trying not to compare between the men's game and the women's game, but perhaps is there an argument that should we have that the women's game should have a, a, a higher category? I don't know if it should be, you know, an SDFL kind of level, something that's going maybe League Two um, kind of level. I don't know because um, you know younger refs need their chance, and for younger refs that are maybe doing junior games to do like a you know a big kind of um, a big women's game. That's quite. That should be quite good. Um, I would say perhaps, and you mentioned about assistance, is that maybe they were short of you know assistance because I think that the top the top two flights need to have assistance. Um, and out with that, just the referee. And I think, I mean, I don't know. This could be hearsay, but I think a lot of assistants that come in that are feeling new into it and whatnot, and it's kind of like this is kind of like their kind of entry level into their pathway into the game. Um, so I think maybe the because I have seen games where referees seem to almost take the lead in deciding what side gets the ball um, at throwings and whatnot um, because of maybe new or, or very raw assistants that are in. Um, could be wrong, I just kind of got that impression, but I, I do feel like maybe we've not got enough assistance and, uh, and, and that might be a reason why, I'm not sure. Um, so my, my R changed over the course of today but because what we're talking about I'm going to flick my R back which is my R was Ree Hang Yok who was as far as I'm saying the ruiner of dreams in uh, Paris in June this, uh, last year uh, she was a referee in charge when she um, I mean to be fair like so Leah Alexander saved the penalty obviously in it, uh, against uh, Florencia Bonsiguendo which you know fair enough she was maybe slightly off her line it was harsh but she yeah. was off her line the penalty was then scored. My beef with uh, Ree is that she then didn't play the at least like 27 minutes worth of injury time that was due after all that rigmarole that probably would have given Scotland the chance to score a goal. And I think that probably comes down to a point you raised there, Callum, and I'll get your question, uh, take on this, Camel, because you, you mentioned it, which is the World Cup was seen as a bit of a... The Women's World Cup was seen as a testing ground for things that we're going to bring into the men's game. And Callum said there just now that in terms of categories of referees, like some referees use women's football as a proven ground. Can women's football grow when that's still the perception of any role within that game, whether it be referees, whether it be media? I mean, we've seen it with media as well, in terms of that respect as well. Can you get somebody to bring look at something with equal perception when actually you're using that as a, as a proven ground for other things? I think it can definitely grow. Obviously, there was so much in it media stuff for it, media attention around the World Cup and around the world and things, but I don't like using it as a testing ground for at all. I mean, obviously, it's the World Cup, it's the biggest days that most of these players are going to play on. Well, they're all going to play on, actually. So the fact that you're then getting a rule like that one that was introduced midway through the tournament as well, which doesn't help it, and then was only ever seemed to be enforced in that game, but then some of these, I mean, Scotland may never get to a World Cup again, and that could have been 
a, a great chance for these players obviously to get through to a knockout stage of one. So it, not only does it sort of impact on their careers and kind of it's a big disappointment to them, as you say, it also then takes away a wee bit from the women's game and then it's you look at it then it's never then going to be viewed at the same sort of level, which which isn't really fair at all. So it's again it's a tough one. Obviously it will grow and things that we've seen in Scotland through media like like ourselves now it is growing, but it's it's, it's never going to be easy when you're, as you're saying there, that it's been treated as almost second class rather than at the same level as what it should be. What was your arc, Alan? Um, did I... Did I say the Rangers, didn't I? Oh, you did, sorry. Apologies. Because yeah. um, we went in that referee and I changed mine. I also had the uh, Ravens Creek Stadium to go back to 1972. Ravens Creek Stadium in Greenock, which was the home of Scotland against England. That historic match. Fortunately, we lost that day, but yeah, really cool. Uh, S, um, I had Shelley Kerr. So we've talked about Shelley already, so I'll quite have to give mine a bye. Uh, Callum, what did you have for S? I said SWPL Cup group stages, the verdict, take out the weather. Campbell, uh, I'll give you first crack at this one. Um, In terms of how they were, the setup of them, and is it a good idea, or in terms yeah. of how they actually went? I'm um, taking it away. There's um, kind of feelings on it. I, mean, I think it was a good idea, right enough, just for the fact that it. We looked when you look at it last year, where it was seeded and it was the SWPL one teams were beating the SWPL two teams. That it was just daft in the end of it. Um, I think looking at it though, it was definitely a good idea, and obviously the fact we've had to just say the weather and the virus, and that's kind of has really impacted on it. It was yeah, I think definitely it was a good idea, and it was always giving teams something to play for. And obviously, by the very bottom to the rest that were getting put out of the SWPL Cup, but then getting into the plate, so they were still getting that chance to then go on and potentially win something over the course of the season. So I definitely think it was a good improvement, but it's obviously just disappointing that we, we never really got to see it uh, in its full glory. I um I thought it was a good idea as well. I think you had more competitive fixtures at the start of the season, which is a great thing. As Campbell quite rightly says, you had essentially had the eight SWPL one clubs beating the eight SWPL two clubs. Um, and that was kind of that was their preseason almost done. Um, I think two things that interested me about it was there was definitely two schools of thought in terms of how the SWPL Cup was being approached. There was clubs that were approaching it in terms of we want to go far in it, and there was other clubs who were approaching it almost like as an extended preseason. And I think that was my kind of concern with it when it was kind of announced in that in that format. Um, I think having the SWPL plate is a good thing because it gives teams who realistically don't have much opportunity to win anything other than if they happen to drop into SWPL2 at the moment um, an opportunity to win something. Uh, but I, I thought it was a good thing. I remember at the time when it was announced thinking it was a good thing and I think in general um, hopefully next season when it, when a proper season happens it gets a, it gets a fair crack because I think there was definitely a lot of value in it. There was obviously stuff around visas for certain players and the kind of professionality of the game is now coming into effect a little bit, um, which is a, a much broader topic. But what was your thought on it, Callum? Obviously, Glasgow City haven't been involved in it yet um, at the time of recording. So what was your take? I know that one of the one of the things that was said to me about it was it would give teams like Glasgow City and Hibs the opportunity to play higher quality opposition, but I know that didn't really bear out. And certainly in Glasgow City and Hibs cases in that regard. No, and I think on paper, it's, I, I like the idea. Um, I think there's a couple of there's a couple of flaws within it. And there's something that I thought of at the start when the group stage came out was that, um, well, 
Glasgow City and Hibs get by. It sounds like a good carrot, but um, I think the group stage, well, taking there's a couple of points, I'll, I'll go with the group stage first. I think it, it might change again with more professionalism and further teams going pro where they can afford to play maybe a midweek um, or more midweeks um, because at the moment it's almost quite difficult with players working, but I feel like the, the layout of it, um, taking out the weather, was I mean, you know, you play two rounds, then you play a league game, then you have a final round. I don't think that kind of helped. And I think you could have played it, you know, Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, get it out of the way. Uh, get it out of the way is maybe a bit flippant, but, you know, is that where you're kind of stagnant too far? Whereas, you know, just play it over the sake of a week or, you know, maybe a, a Sunday and two Wednesdays um, or something like that. Um, for glasses and hips, yes, in theory, that could have helped with getting some good quality friendlies in and it might be better than playing an SWPL2 team um, or a couple of SWPL2 teams. The problem with that is the landscape's changed from three, four, five, six years ago where Glasgow City regularly played WSL teams um, Man City, Arsenal, did Sunderland a couple of times uh, when they were a WSL team um, and we used to have friendlies uh, and all the likes of Hearts have been down and, and when Kevin Murphy was there went down to play I think Man City, I think Bristol City's came up as well and played Hibs in the past. That was when the English teams were um, in the, the summer season as well. So they were pre-season also. So that worked and dovetailed perfectly. And it worked really well. Problem is England are now in a you know a, a winter calendar now. Um, Glasgow City played Katia last year, the, the Swedish champions. Um, but Scottish teams can't really, most of them, or all of them, can't afford to go abroad for two or three pre-season games. Whereas you know, the Swedish teams, you know, some of the money that the Swedish teams get um, and you know, there's a great story, you know, I found out about Esko Stuna when they, that one year they were in the championship they played Glasgow City and now they're back to be a mid-table team in Sweden. They were getting millions of pounds from their local council and local um, local government because uh, they were representing their town at just a different level to what what's going on here. Um, but yeah, so clubs can't afford to go abroad for pre-season. So that's kind of left Glasgow City and the struggling because there's, there isn't, you know, options there. Um, unless they can lure a European, you know, team over, which again is difficult, and you know Germany and all that, they, they Germany play winter season, so it's tough. So I know God said with Hamilton, um, I think we're due to play another team. I can't remember, maybe Dundee United, but that game was called off because of the League Cup. Um, I think Hibs, I don't know what Hibs done. I'm not sure what their kind of thing was. If they just kind of played some bounce games, I know. I think um, there's some bounce games with maybe some boys teams. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so Glasgow City have actually had very little preseason games against women's teams. Um, I certainly have a higher quality, and that's not to disrespect to Hamilton and Glasgow City with them. Um, they're obviously a solid team and should be challenging the SWPL too. But it's not like what period was envisaged that Glasgow City and Hibs would go and play some English teams or not because they couldn't because they were playing football. So I am obviously the weather played a big part the first night um, of the season the Glasgow City Celtic game in the league um, but take if it, if it was normal weather conditions it would have been a close game but you know I still think there's certain element although Glasgow City were fit they weren't as much fit as Celtic despite Celtic having a few new players in and you've seen the game between Hibs and Spartans on the Sunday which Hibs won late um, you know there's maybe an argument where Hibs are maybe a lot bit shy in goals potentially because of Wasp keepers up front um, but they did score very late and they have to puff their way over. Perhaps the Spartans had a few games, um, you know, or certainly had themselves up and running and, uh, in their group stage. So 
Um, I've kind of went into it feels like a bit of a rant about it, but it's a good <laughs> idea. Be quite good to see it maybe without you know wind and rain and then the virus taking over. But it does feel like actually a disadvantage if you're not in the group stage because even if you do, I mean, Glasgow and Hibs can still do like pre-season, but at least they had a consistent run of games, whereas they didn't have that against women's teams because there wasn't the games out there. No, and I think. I think that's a big caveat I think you need to put against the SWPL Cup and even the SWFA Championship. Obviously, that's a slightly different competition. I think that's a good thing as well. Um, is that the weather conditions made it mad? Like even the games, like even the Celtic, the Celtic Glasgow women game that ended up going to after lots of games are called off. That that was even the worst weather that day. Like I remember going to then Hamilton Queens Park and it was sideways. And as you mentioned, the just it was a, a horrible start to the season. Um, what was your S Campbell? Uh, I went with signings. Obviously, it's the biggest pre-season the change we've had in Scottish women's football. I've mentioned obviously the Rangers and Celtic things, and can anyone overtake City? But even just to kind of ask you two, can you can you pinpoint the site this signing of the winter as it would have been? Mm. Uh, if you're asking me now, I would say that. I would say Jenna Fife. I think that um, one of the things that Rangers had to address, and it was something that I asked, I asked Lisa Swanson this question, actually, when we did the podcast with her recently about Rangers, because she's a Rangers fan. She admits it. We all know it. It's not a hidden fact. Um, and also, Rangers kind of had a very high turnover of squad over the over the winter. And I think that, actually, the one position that they really needed to address was, was in goal. I think they had good keepers, but they didn't have keepers that were going to win them leagues. Um, and I think sending Jenna Fife and having Megan Cunningham as a backup, let's be honest, is a pretty good backup. Um, I think that was definitely the the signing in terms of their window. I think that's definitely a signing. I think that's a really good signing, especially for her as well, because it gives her a chance to train full time. And I thought she had a, a really good game to Ukraine in the Finnegan Cup as well. So yeah, I'm going to say Jenna Fife. Um, I think I was kind of thinking along that lines because as good as the two or three players Rangers have picked up from Hibs, um, I don't think they frighten me quite the same as, as Jenna Five because that's been a Rangers, as you say, a Kelly's heel um, for a long time. Um, they've kind of ha- had a mix of goalkeepers, um, sometimes a bit of um, unluckiness with um, injury um, in there. But um, yeah, they've now got a strong in Megan Cannon, that's a tremendous number two um, in there um, as well. So that's good. Uh, I'm trying to think. I quite liked, I don't know if I've got a favourite, um, a couple of quite, I quite liked um, Dolan Goo and McClintock going to Motherwell, John McClintock obviously with Glasgow City, um, was a perennial player off the bench, popped up with goals, um, did reasonably well in their early career at Hamilton Rangers, um, I thought was, those two players were quite good, um, Hearts have done quite well um, with business, um, Siobhan Higgins, Louise McDaniel, Lauren Irish player, midfielder, I think is a is an interesting player. I think she's going to be a, a quality player. Um, so I can't really pick a favourite, but if I'm looking away from maybe the, the obvious ones at the top end, um, those are kind of players that I quite like the look of. Um, I think the same like some other Elton Hearts have done particularly well picking players up from kind of top four clubs, particularly development teams, because that's probably a side point where a lot of the bigger clubs. I've had to shell like um, Taylor Hamill's mother once went to Hearts. Glad the girls picked up a lot of players. Um, um, top clubs have lost quite a few players from development teams because of the restructuring of development kind of level and under 19s. 
Yeah, I think Louise McDaniel's been pretty good from what I've seen of her about Hearts. She had a really good game against Birmingham Thistle in the SWPL Cup when I seen them. But yeah, lots of good ones. What about you, Campbell? You've asked you've asked that question. So what, who who do you think's been good times in the in the winter window? I think you've both picked up some good ones. Obviously, Rangers. You're saying the two Northern Irish girls there, um, Demi Vance and Megan Bell, both been very good for Rangers since they've come in. Lucy Ronald at Glasgow, uh, Glasgow girls been another good one. Obviously, the players you mentioned. Even Summer Green at Celtic as well. I can't really kind of pinpoint one. There's been a lot of good signings. Um, Danny McGinley and Holly Napier as well for the um, United. So there's there's definitely a lot of good players coming in, kind of everywhere. And trying to pinpoint one is almost too hard because we've not we've not seen enough of them yet to know how they're going to do at their new clubs, but there's certainly a lot of players there that could be could be good signings for the teams um, once football resumes. Yeah, I think it's been a, a good window to watch players coming in. I think there's also going to be players that maybe we don't know a lot about yet that maybe prove quite well. I know from speaking to um, Ryan McConville at Forfa for Farmington, he's really, um, he's really hopeful for Billy Simpson once A, the season comes back and B, she kind of gets gets kind of into settled into her position at Forfa that she could have a really really strong season and obviously scored a couple of goals against Motherwell in the SWPL Cup but yeah uh, lots of good signings uh, T I have Tyne Castle we've kind of talked about that already um, I just put it in there because it was perhaps host of the best Scottish Cup final ever um, I think that's that's probably my take on it and obviously had a record the domestic attendance 3,123 so absolute reason for that to be included what did you have Callum? For T, um, what have I got? Well, just on your point, Time Castle is a good one, and I still can't stop watching Claire Shine's winner. Um, I've still not got my throwback from that day. Um, <laughs> um, throwback Thursday, I put because I was, uh, I'm getting stuck as we get further down these layers. Um, so I kind of put throwback Thursday, and I was thinking about my first SWPO game I covered, um, which, which actually I think might be my second Glasgow City game because. I was trying to remember, my mind's getting a bit hazy at older age. Um, but the I remember I came and started, I did a bit of commentary for the standard liaison in the last 32 of the Champions League in 2013. But my first ever WPL game was when um, City won the title against Celtic. So that'd be like October 2013. So kind of like a throwback with, of your guys' first SWPL game that you attended. Ooh. I think it would have been Rangers against somebody. <laughs> um, I want to say four for Farmington. It feels like it may have been. In fact, no, it wasn't. It was Rangers Celtic. It was an old firm game. I think Rangers got beat quite handily, which wasn't unusual at the time, let's be honest. Um, I think I remember thinking to myself, it's a good opportunity to see an old firm in a different surrounding. Like, what is an old firm like outside of the 50,000, 60,000, everybody frothing um, outcome? Um, and yeah, it was all right. Like, I think that was my, my kind of main, my, my first one. The first one I covered for SWF was Celtic Motherwell against at K Park. And it was 0 0. And it was literally one of the worst games I've ever sat through. And I was like, I can't believe I've signed up for this. <laughs> But yeah, and then I think I covered another game at the weekend and that was a lot better. But yeah, that was that was my first two. What about you, Campbell? My first one was Glasgow City 3, Celtic 2. Oh, it was 2017-18, maybe, I think. Healy Lauder scored a penalty, if I remember correctly. I'm, I've been Joe Love. Someone scored a penalty for City. Celtic then led 2-1, I think. In fact, Healy Lauder scored quite a, a peach, I think, to win it 3-2, yeah. if I'm thinking the right game. Yeah. Um, so that was my first one. It was on Alba. 
and I had nothing else on a Sunday thought I'll go up there. I was at City Spartans a few weeks later and then ended up getting through university to go and cover games. So the first games I covered would have been the Cup semis at Stirling, not this year, but the previous season. Um, when it was 2-1, Hib- when Hibs beat City and Motherwell beat Spartans. They're both 2-1, were they not? And then I was at City Hibs a few weeks. The fact the following week in the league when City pretty much won the league with that 2-1 win. So I, yeah, been a lot of City in my early, early stages. I, uh, I've actually just had a thought. So domestically, those were my first games, but in terms of Scotland women, my first game was Scotland against Israel in 2012, and uh, Scotland won 8-0, I think it was. Um, but my my main, t- it was at Tynecastle, so I think I'd been working in the morning, and it was, uh, it was in June, so there wasn't any normal, well, normal, that's a horrible word to use, but there wasn't any usual Saturday football, it was a Saturday game. So I went, uh, I was at Tynecastle, so I left work in Glasgow, got a train from Charing Cross straight, in, straight out to Haymarket, was absolutely chucking it down, got into the stadium, and there was a lot of uh, pro-Palestine protesters uh, in the ground, probably more pro-Palestine protesters than there were like away fans, there definitely was more away fans, so you had this kind of weird thing where you were watching Scotland play Israel in a kind of qualifier for the European Championships, while at the same time you had this mass protest going on in the ground at the same time. And it's one of these football images that uh, never will never leave me because it was just such a weird experience to have. Um, and I remember I've watched Scotland a lot in those kind of early kind of 2010s win really handily against not very good teams. But that one, yeah, that one definitely sticks in my mind. It was Leanne Ross that scored the penalty. Yeah. If anyone cares again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, T, have we done have we done T? Yes. No, you don't have my tea. Oh, what's your tea? Uh, you'll like this one. My tea is tunnocks. From going through your, hey, there's your dinner <laughs> podcast again, you always ask the players what's their favourite tunnocks product? Um, the caramel wafer, the caramel log, the tea cake, or the snowball. So, what are your favourite tunnocks um, products? Um, <laughs> I, I was a big fan of the snowball for a long time, but I've come round to the ways of the caramel wafer. Because I started drinking coffee and it's very good as a dunker in coffee. Um, you can. Um, well, I mean, I'm trying to think what else do what else do tonics make other than the snowballs and the the wafers? I say I'm not a huge chocolate, but I probably have a wafer. But I didn't really, didn't really do tonics really in the grassroots things. Blame Chris. It's his question. I'm just putting <laughs> it on him. Again, uh, Sir Boy Tonic. If you want to sponsor the podcast, Callum is a is a partial contributor. And we are very much pro tonics on this podcast. But yeah. Um let's move on to you. I think we're now going to get to the the real fag end of uh, the alphabet yeah. now. So you, um let's start with Callum because you've piped up making a noise first. Um it's a very bad one and it's probably a link to throwback Thursday. I've just put underwater and that's basically February's football in Scotland. And that's it. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, can I ask you a question back to Tia a wee second? Because I meant to ask you, which is about Throwback Thursday. Um, you mentioned it earlier on. What's your take on replaying old games? So I know Glasgow City have been doing it. Um, and I know lots of other clubs have been doing it. Uh, personally, for you, is it something you enjoy looking back and watching? Um, yeah, I mean, as I said earlier, I actually haven't watched many of the watch party things across the board. One or two of the Scotland ones in the, in the SFA. Because um, I say I don't 
I can't really, because you know a game of football, you know there's only like two goals or three goals or even if there's like ten goal filler, you know. Whereas, like, say, I'm kind of nerd in a safe one, whereas a race from 15 years ago, I might remember the winner, but there was probably other things happened that I forgot about and nostalgia in that way. Um, I don't know why I can do that. I can't do the full football games. But um, I guess the Glasgow City-wise, I've been really quite enjoyed it. It's probably, it's probably more time to try to find full games and I'm kind of cutting in the highlight replays that we've got from our like, archive that probably not as mine as well, so I probably need to archive it better. But try to cut in replays from our highlight package and... And some of them are what commentary stole from the original recordings, and you know I'm a bit guided that I wasn't in charge of the media back in the kind of since I started being involved because I'd love to have had some of the games like the 2015 Cup final and some of the the Champions League run, the, that first Champions League run. Glad to say I've only got the highlights, not the full games unfortunately because I was in charge of everything then. So, um, but yes, yeah, I've been quite fun. Um, I've heard too much more in voice though, um, but. Um, yeah, it's it's a and I know one or two people. I know some of the SFA that's doing a lot of the media content, and that includes the full games. And you know, it's actually quite a lot of work. Um, you know, taking the full file and you know, and chopping it up and or adding bits and pieces in, and to make it kind of watchable um, as live as if it's a, a real broadcast. But I think you know, it's good. It's good initiative. There's been a lot of initiative in other sports. The darts is one thing I've watched a lot of now with the kind of um, stuff that's going on there. The darts at home tournament, um, so I mean, I mean, this is not something that's normal in this situation, so um, you know, it's and, and I know from from our perspective, and, and, and we are quite lucky that you know, we have had years worth of content and full games highlights, and it's a bit maybe a bit easier for us to dedicate hours or me to dedicate hours to putting content together, but we've got we've had several thousand views on the archive games we've been doing this for. I don't know, six weeks now maybe, our archive games must have probably 12, 15,000 views across YouTube and Facebook, so there's definitely people watching which is which is good, so, and then some of the games are maybe high scoring games but they're just kind of running the mill league games of, not to kind of decry people from watching the content but there's just maybe some high scoring games, there's been some dramatic games I've been just trying to mix the games up and try to replicate like what's happening in real life, so it was like Hearts last weekend, so we had a Hearts Cup game, the only game we've got in the archive against Hearts from uh, like three or four years ago and it's a bit one-sided but I'm trying to kind of do it like that um, but if there's people watching it well it shows that it must be working and there's definitely people watching the kind of national team content that I've seen so um, I guess as I say it's filling the voids for anyone that is struggling like me without any sport Yeah and I, um, I I'm i not sure it's really for me I, f- I find myself when I watch it I kind of lose interest quite quickly but as you say, if it's giving people an outlet, then it's absolutely fine by me. And if there's something that kicks you on, then it's great. I know Campbell that. How's it for you in terms of? You're a little bit younger than than me and and uh, and Callum, and I know that the 1994 Dundee United Cup final is that something you'd watched before, or is that the first time you'd watched it when it was kind of screened uh, recently? No, that that was actually the first time I'd watched. I mean, obviously I'd seen the goal and things like that, and um. But no, I've, I've watched quite a lot of the games back. I mean, United have had on some games, the SPFL have had it, and as you're saying, Callum's mentioning, Scotland Jamaica was on, there's been the FA page and things have been showing a lot of old um, games as well. So I mean, I've, last Saturday, ended up, United had a game on, and the SPFL did as well. So I ended up watching United Motherwell from 2013 and against Rangers 2008, both of them draws, but we had the neutral Ibrooks. Cup semi-final win was on, watched all games against Celtic and things like that. There's a website as well um, called Footballia, which has got loads of old games. 
And um, so I've actually been watching a few through that. I mean, I've just been picking kind of random ones and I ended up with the way he picked out games last night, numbers and things. I ended up watching Marseille against San Etienne from 1989. And obviously it's things I've never watched in my life, but it was a mental case referee and two absolute thunder bastards, if I can say that, for goals. So I, it's, I quite enjoy watching old games if they're there. I used to be like yourself, where I just wouldn't. But I think the fact that we're now kind of, you're, you're stuck in the house, you know, I want to watch old games. So I've watched, I must have watched Melanie Double Figures over the last few weeks um, from old games. So it's it's definitely good. I mean, it, it counts as we know the score. Sometimes it's not great. So that's why watching game that you've got no recollection of, that you can be quite enjoyable. Just see what can happen. Yeah, no, as I said, I've definitely taken value. That has been the only game I've worked, watched in full. But as a general rule, I find myself kind of just wanting to get the clip notes because I know what's happened. Um, back to you, though. Hi, that was a bit of a tangent. Back to T. But uh, you, what did you have for you, Campbell? Um, that was one of the last ones I put in. I went under the lights in the end for sort of nighttime games. Um, they've always been more frequent. I know we had the Scottish uh, the League Cup semi-final last year, so it was a Friday night. Obviously, back at Airdrie again this year, you had um, Mother Patrick this was on a Friday, as you said, Hibs Rangers was going to be. What are your kind of, just to say, interest your two thoughts on um, just nighttime games, the most frequent now? Do you like them, or would you rather see games played on a Sunday? Um, I quite like the, the, the Friday night games. Not every week, but we've seen in the men's games, SPFL, it's worked quite well. Um, And the Friday night BT slot um, has has been good. Um, I think, again, it's a challenge of our league with still, you know, as much as there's a lot of professionalism coming in, there's still a lot of amateur players working, so it's tough to kind of make it regular, picking one Friday game every night, even if it wasn't on the telly. Um, I know from Again, going back to kind of my experience as a rugby fan as well, and going to uh, watch um, kind of Edinburgh games um, or what have you um, on a Friday night, it does feel better in the lights. The interesting one, maybe a caveat that, and um, as an opinion point of the, the League Cup final being on a Friday night last year, I know there's some grumbling about it didn't quite work. I was kind of like, I'm not, I'm not sure about it being on a Friday night, but I did kind of quite like the nighttime aspect of a Cup final. Maybe because I like the footage that came from it, um, aesthetics-wise, um, it looked cool. But I, I'm not sure about a cup final. But I think for you know a, a game of the round or something, or one game a week or from time to time, I think Friday nights under the light scenario is quite cool. So the fans, it's this thing would it help or improve the respectful and fans come? I think um, I think the problem with the the league cup final was it was an airdrie. I think yeah. that was the I think actually the concept of Friday night football is good. I like it. Um, I'm a fan of it. I think even sort of even despite the horrendous weather at that Celtic Glasgow City game, I definitely feel like there was more people there than there would have been if it had maybe been a a Sunday clashing with Celtic on telly, for example. Yeah. Um, I think that maybe one of the things to explore is Saturday night football uh, is one of the things I've thought about. Whereas if you had that League Cup final on a Saturday night. You are so say for example, Airdrie weren't playing that home that day, and uh, you could play the game on the Saturday night, have the same kickoff time, seven thirty-five or whatever I'll be decree, um, and then you have that kickoff time. On Saturday night, it becomes a bit of a night out. Where I think with see because of the the Friday night, it's kind of a lot of people are trying to rush home from work and get get to the game, or as you mentioned, players might be trying to rush and get to places. Um, but no, as a general rule, I think that football under the lights is a is a pretty 
good thing as long as it's under the like. I mean, the other thing about that night, Campbell, I'm sure you remember, I'm sure you remember as well, Calm, is absolutely chucked it down about five yeah. minutes before full time and then extra time and penalties. And then, yeah, the drive home was minging. Yeah. But, um, no, I think I, I'm a fan of giving this a proper run of Friday night football. And I hope that obviously we see picking up a game on a Sunday. Alba, who do lots of coverage, who so far we've actually managed to get all the way through to you without mentioning Alba, um, but they do tons of good coverage of Scottish women's football, obviously. Um, they keep kind of keep doing these Friday games and keep them regular, because I think that's a big thing. I think last season they were a bit hit and miss in terms of when the games were going to be like that. The game at the towards the end of last season, 4 for Farms against Motherwell, was a bit of a nothing game to be on on a Friday night, and when there was lots of other things going on in the league at that time. Um, so yeah, but I'm a big fan of that. My U was under 19. Uh, I've I've said this to mm-hmm. Cam. I think I've mentioned it on the podcast a few times. I quite enjoy going to watch the National Performance League uh, when I get the opportunity to. I think the the competition. Well, I say this with the caveat that the last game we went to was Rangers against Kilmarnock and it was 14-1. But in general, the competition level is pretty good and. It's a, it's a really good insight to the kind of broader appeal of the women's game. I think you can go to an under-19s game and you'll see maybe the same numbers that you would get at a, an SWPL2 game, for example. Um, and I think it's a, it's a really good in, in, indication to the pathway. And the reason why I kind of put this in here as well is I've got another question that kind of goes back to funding a little bit in the national team, which is Scotland have a jump between under-19 and then you're in the professional team. So you have Amy Muir and Jamie Lee Napier, two most recent graduates, both of whom have now, um, Amy Muir's been capped, Jamie Lee Napier's been in squads, but for a player like Michaela McAloney at Spartans, she is now no longer eligible for under-19s, and she kind of doesn't have anywhere to go in the Scotland setup. Do you think we need a, a bridge between that gap, Campbell? Yeah, I mean, as you say, we've talked about it before, and I think it... <laughs> They're all, when you see the first team, they're obviously doing very well. They're in the players you mentioned that have been great at under-19 level are good players and could go into the first team, but they're not players that are going to be like a starter in, your, the, in the first squad. So, I mean, even something like under-21's level, like you've got it in the men's game and it certainly helps them. And you see sort of the boys that can play at that level and move up if you've got the same at the girls' age as well. I think that it would, it would definitely be needed. How work it in and the funding and things, again, as you say, is where your problems lie, but I definitely think we could do with an under twenty ones level in, in between the nineteens and first team. Yeah, I, I'm kind of. I think the structure's not quite right, but the issue is, and it's it might change and evolve with the way the leagues change and evolve with the professionalism, because you had a scenario even you know the old firm, particularly Rangers out of the old firm, um, out with Glasgow City and Hibs, everyone else. I mentioned it earlier, um, and it could be this could it's could be back in part one or part two or part ten. I can't remember because it's been a um, a while ago now. But um, <laughs> I mentioned um, a long time ago about or added about kind of where like the Spartans were six or seven eight years ago, where they had a, an experienced spine with a few young players, and all the spine have left or retired, and they're just full of young players. And the problem is a lot of teams in the league, as good as some of the young players are, they just keep funneling these young players at the first team level two or three of the good ones leave to go to Hibs or Glasgow City um, maybe Celtic and it's just a conveyor belt of young players and players are younger and younger joining the the top flight so I think the average age of a lot of teams will be quite young um, so that's where they've been arguing well is there any need for another 21 because they're playing top like football and it's different at the national level but um, it's maybe more the kind of age groups and 
We've got a scenario at the moment, and another problem I want to talk about, it, and I think parents talk about it, is um, well, they're changing it, as we've touched on as well, that development teams are gone um, that are in the, the, the senior leagues, um, which is some protestation about that. And effectively, a development team is now your under-19s team. So perhaps the change should be, it, there could well be an under ones league now, where maybe last year there was no point because you had the kind of the talented oldest players playing in, in senior leagues. Um, and the argument is, well, well, maybe an eight or a ten team under twenty one league or under twenty three league, but will that be a strong challenge for all those teams compared to, you know, Glasgow City, Hibs, Celtic, academies playing in a team which, I mean, if I looked at the SWFL one last year and you know Glasgow City probably Celtic Hibs their average age was probably eighteen nineteen if that, and you had those three kind of sides, you had kind of Spartans academy in the top six in that league. And then you had kind of like Burnham, your thistle, which is a bit of a mix of a team. Um, but then you, they still had tough games, those kind of young teams against like the Renfrew in there as well. So probably the top seven or eight was a good mix and balance. So I kind of feel like they're going to be a, you know, if there's not an argument, well, that's a bit of a loss to those young teams that are playing against some solid teams at that level, as well as kind of players of a similar level that are young. Um, so if they're not going to do that, which they're not now, then perhaps you do need maybe an under-21s or an under-23s kind of league, but maybe it needs to tweak because you've got national performance 15s and 19s, but the problem area is probably 17s because 17s is basically a recreational league. It's not a, a national performance, but also players are probably going either from the under-15 straight to under-19s or they're maybe doing a little bypass in between and maybe doing a year under-17s. Um, so I don't know if you can... Uh, doing maybe an under 15s and under 18s and under 21s, something like that. But I think I think there might well be changes to the pathway at some point, but um, I guess not a rush it um, in all one fell swoop. Yeah, I think under 15s is maybe an age group too young. Uh, I think you, you've mentioned the fact that obviously there's an under 15s and under 19s. Part of me goes if they had an under 17s, then you could do like an under 20s. An yeah. under 20s marries what goes on internationally in terms of there's an under-20s World Cup um, which um, people uh, England down south have qualified for in the past as well. So I think you're right. I think there's maybe scope now that the development sides are out of that structure, which I think is probably the right thing. Um, I know there was, there's been kind of a dispersion of talent. There's been a few debates about it. But I think in my opinion, I think it's probably been the right thing to kind of get get them out of there and kind of put them into a different a different bubble. But yeah, I think it's an interesting one. And as you, as you mentioned that, that kind of restructure it in itself. What what's your thoughts in terms of we've kind of touched on the the performance side of it in terms of it now being SWPL and the championship and then obviously you've got the development side of it. In terms of the restructure in general, Campbell, um what's what's been your thoughts on it in terms of how it's been implemented so far? I think it's been okay. I've seen a couple of weird results in the championship. Um I, I got I think Livingston beat Edinburgh City and I think I saw a couple of results where Edinburgh City didn't finish with eleven players because they never had 11 players to start off with. Um, but what's your thoughts in terms of how the restructure is embedded in very early stages, of course, so far? I think it's good, the fact that, yeah, I see they've obviously got the two new teams in SWPL2 and then because you've got no development sides now, it's kind of given players, teams like Livingston, obviously new, your Falkirk, Zembra City, Clyde, teams like that, that are then able to play all in a sort of in a league against players that are they're not developing their actual players that are going to be 
with the clubs for a few years, if that kind of makes sense. I mean, I've not been able to obviously see any of the championship games before the thing kind of finished up there, but it's which kind of doesn't help, obviously. But I think it's certainly a good sort of a good layout. I mean, one of my further letters is today with sort of a development squad, so I'm going to leave that till then. But the fact that they're all playing against players that are that are definitely going to be sort of with that club for a while is kind of the point I'm trying to make. I think it's definitely a good thing and it just makes obviously their own cup now as well and the fact that it saves you with all these um, different sort of letter combinations to read out the championship definitely seems to be a good idea for me. Yeah, down, down with the letter combinations, I completely agree with that. Um, let's move on to V. Uh, Callum, what you got for V? Um, this is very tenuous, just about a Scottish, well, it is a Scottish link because uh, she's played for Scotland. Um, Viola Barsley, had six, seven caps for Scotland. Um, I think Scottish grandmother, English-born, played for Eskil Stunar. Um, you know, I remember when she played in Glasgow City. That's kind of really the tenuous over with. <laughs> um, I did a, a thing on leading the line asking to name the 2017 squad and when I put it together, she was a name I forgot about, if I'm being yeah. totally honest with you. Um, as you say, she, she did play. She was in that squad. It was all good. Um, okay, given that tenuousness, what have you got for V Gamble, though I'm concerned that your tenuousness might be even stronger? To be fair, I think some of the, the more obscure letters actually were easier for me because you're focused on them. Um, anyway, v, I put viral for sort of, you kind of mentioned earlier on, but a lot of these challenges going kind of viral sort of thing. Obviously, the tea bag one, which kind of Siobhan Hunter started at Hibs, and then also the toilet roll one as well. They've, they've kept folk busy, it's good challenges, it's keeping t- teams and then also out with players, coaches, things, parents, and everything, keeping them all entertained in this time. Um, just a bit disappointed that we never saw your tea bag, uh, Chris. In fact, I managed to get it and you put it on and everything. There's been nothing from you with toilet roll or tea bag, so what's your good excuse? Well, First of all, I didn't have any toilet roll for like a month because folk kept buying it all. <laughs> to the extent where, and this is this is a thing. what they asked you did when you were at the toilet. <laughs> I had to resort to kitchen roll at one point. But to the extent where one of my mates, after I managed to buy kitchen, uh, toilet roll, by the way, so toilet roll is now a thing in my flat. But after I managed to buy toilet roll, one of my mates was so concerned that she sent me nine rolls of toilet roll in the post and it arrived maybe about two weeks after I managed to resolve the situation by having by having toilet roll. Um, but yeah, so that's why I did the toilet roll one. And a tea bag one, I don't like tea. So that's that's why I did the tea bag one. So I don't have any tea bags. Um, and I don't like tea. I don't like the taste of it, uh, to be honest with you. But yeah, I think uh, the viral things are good. Um, I think as you, it goes back to a couple of points we made throughout this three plus hours which we're now at now, which is it's just good to keep morale up for everybody. So I think it's great to see. Uh, my V was VAR. Now, we've talked about it a little bit already in terms of the World Cup and, and the way Scotland impacted. In, in a list of priorities for Scottish women's football, where do you put VAR um, going forward? Given, like, let's let's pretend cost isn't a thing, because I think cost-wise, we know it's absolutely miles off. But if you are building Scottish women's football from the ground up with the same budget as you had the men's game, Calum, where, where would you put VAR in that, in that process? Uh, the very bottom. Oh, for Jesus! Tell uh, me. Not, not far at all. Not. Far. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I'm kind of. I mean, the World Cup thing. Um, I was 
kind of sick for about three seconds because of the bar with the whole line thing and the, the assistance. But I was more annoyed with the kind of fact they chucked away the three-goal lead. Um, but as the years went on in the English Premier League, particularly seen, well, I think it's more of an implementation. Um, some countries seem to do it a better. Germany, I think, is probably the one where it's not perfect, but it's a lot better. Um, Italy's okay. They just got the screen thrown. It takes five minutes, but they do tend to get most of the results reasonably okay. England just seems to be, because they're kind of not implemented properly, and they're kind of trying to keep the pace of the game, but they're not doing it right. So I kind of feel like, and because in England, the referees get a lot of stick down there, and I mean, there's probably a lot of stick wanted, potentially, um, for the referee in Scotland and, and the men's game. There's certainly a lot that gets put towards the refs. In England, people are complaining because refs are on the pitch that make certain mistakes that are now doing the VAR, the VAR and, and they're making those mistakes or maybe not giving enough gains in their truck. So if you're having, if, if, a, if referee, a, referee A in Scotland is under fire but in the truck giving advice to referee B, it could be disastrous for, for Flack in the men's game. So, I mean, I, I, I'm probably not for at all generally or certainly not in this form um, I don't know why they can't do it like cricket or or, or rugby union maybe not because they do stop naturally but like in, or tennis where you can have a challenge of some sort if you're not happy with the decision you have two challenges a half and boom you get, in hockey I think 60 seconds they're allowed to look at or or if the referee wants to look at it and the officials want to look at it they get 60 seconds and they can't see it clearly move on something like that you know um, that's kind of just talking about VAR rather than um, but no in the women's game no chance um, anytime um, I'd want to see it so near the bottom What about you Campbell? I'm a big fan of VAR to be honest with you I think having watched it in Spain and France and things like that even seen it in some American games there's ones the, these officials are using it properly using it when it's required and it works I think the problem down in England is the fact that it's their sort of understanding of the rules and then the fact that they're just totally, totally reluctant to go across and actually look at the screen on the side. I mean, some of the offsides you've seen down there where it's, it's a shoulder or something's ahead, no, half a shoulder, it's ridiculous and they just don't seem to use it right. I think once used right, it can work. But I think the main problem is the fact that there's been the rule change at the sort of time VAR's been implemented. No one really knows what the new rules are almost, and that has kind of been the problem. VAR itself, I think, as it once used properly, I like it, but I don't think it would be one of the main priorities for uh, the women's game in Scotland or the men's game, really, for that matter. I just feel it wouldn't be required here, but I think definitely once used properly, it is a good tool to have. Totally agree with both of you. I think it's a very low priority for women's football, and to look what Campbell just said, I think it should be an even lower priority in the men's game because. I just have no interest in the discourse that will surround that um, going forward. Um, I was already kind of turned off by English football a while ago, and it's just turned me off even more this last season. So, yeah. Uh, w, uh, Campbell, what's W for you? Weather. Um, again, <laughs> we've talked about it quite a bit with postponements, obviously, in the early season. And then some of the games we were at, well, the weather was just horrendous before lockdown, but pretty much covered the fact that the weather was dire when there was football and now there's no football. The sun's splitting the trees outside, which just depresses even more. It sure does. <laughs> what about W for you, Cal? Um touched on it earlier, so I don't think you need to talk about it too much, but I just put Wolfsburg, um obviously 
Um, you know, by now City should have played Wolfsburg in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Um, and obviously the excitement of seeing the stars, the German stars, come to PSL Park. Uh, let's ask a question in the back of that then. Uh, Champions League structure has obviously changed. Callum, me and Campbell have had our say on it, I think. And a couple of pla- I know I've said that a couple of places. I think you have as well, Campbell. Um, being involved with Glasgow City, what's your take on the restructured um, Champions League? Um, well, it's just my own personal opinion. I don't have anything to do with the club. Um, I don't know what kind of thoughts are. I think it's a false positive for Scotland because it's the headlines are all over Scotland's probably only two places if they keep things up. Yep. Um, but the problem is that you're getting extra teams from the big nations. And now some would say, well, they deserve to be in because they're higher rank and whatnot. But yeah, you're just kind of flooding it. So, I mean, I think it's going to be very tough for a Scottish side now at the moment. Glasgow City and Hibs could be the same, could change. But if you look at, kind of see, last year, Glasgow City and Hibs, if it was the new format, I think I'd need to look at the permutation. It's, it's a minefield. But essentially, I think both sides would be in early on because there's like initial kind of group stage and I think there's another group stage or something or other. But both teams would be in fairly early on in the qualifying kind of group stage rounds and then I think there's a last 32 and then the last 16 is a group stage so like say, say Glasgow City's champions I think we'd have to play one group stage round and then the last 32 over two legs and then they'd be in the group stage for the last 16 and the likelihood of getting out of that unless you have a quite a favourable draw it will depend for a while for the first maybe year or two if they got to the group stage they may have a favourable coefficient because of this year's kind of helping run, if I run the last 16 the last few years, kind of helped after a difficult period with the draw after the last in the quarterfinals. But um, a likelihood is you're going to be in the last 16 in a group with probably at least two teams that are above you um, potentially in the season. And because in the early stages of the quarterfinal you're going to have a third place team from the big leagues uh, per se. Um, I don't know how that worked for seeing because a lot of them might not have any experience in the competition because that's how we find with the, the, even in the current format you've got kind of big teams like Juventus and teams like that that haven't had a lot not enough experience they're actually unseeded so it's a bit of a false so for Glasgow City you're always looking for maybe the last six teams in the unseeded bit because they're the ones that are genuinely probably at that end um, of the unseeded teams um, so you're going to come to a scenario where there's probably going to be two or three third-place teams that are going to feed their way through from the early rounds all the way to the group stage. You're going to have maybe two teams that are experienced in the Champions League, but maybe higher rank, and possibly they might throw in an unseeded, like a third, a third-placed English team or something. And as good as you know, a Glasgow City or a Hibs or could be a Rangers or Celtic may well be, um, and they've got better and and whatnot. I think for like say, an old firm team, if they make it to the Champions League, they're going to have to learn. Because um, it's taken Hibs a while to kind of the group stage year probably helped Hibs kind of climatise to play in some European games, not just in and out and then knock out and see you later. Because that's pretty tough going the year of Bayern Munich. Um, I think actually the group stage helped Glasgow City kind of get their more going um, when they kind of fell back into that. But it's good perhaps, but it's a bit like Scotland in the men's game. How oh it's great you've got four teams or whatever in Europe, but you know it's quite tough to get into the group stage if you're outside the old firm. So. I am disappointed with the prospect of it just because, you know, the chances of getting to the group stages is tougher, let alone, I think, the last um, of the, the quarterfinals. Um, and you might have to cherish the moment because 
unless there's some seismic shift in investment in the game, we may well struggle. I mean, we said that last time when Glasgow City reached the quarterfinals, but we may well struggle with more bigger nation teams getting into the competition. Yeah, I think I think I echo that sentiment. I think in terms of the women's game as a whole, I think what's happening is a good thing. Um, in terms of Scottish football, I am worried. I think it's I think what's happened is with the rapid acceleration of women's football, especially in the bigger leagues, you're seeing that investment coming in. But that means that the acceleration of the Champions League is going far quicker than it ever did in the men's game. So whereas you had this kind of gradual drip feeding of the bigger sides coming in, you're seeing that happening straight away. And uh, yeah, I'm kind of with you, Cam, in that regard. I'm slightly worried that Scottish teams are going to very quickly become an afterthought because of the way that finance and football works in Europe at the moment. What I think that's kind of something that you echoed when we did our bits for anyone game, Campbell, but have you wanted anything to add to that? No, I mean, you've, even just looking back at that, the now of what I've said previously, it's, David can just cover it there. Like, the game as a whole, obviously, a lot more clubs in, hopefully then more exposure, more revenue kind of thing, but it's going to be much tougher from a Scottish point of view. You know, City have done well, kind of punched above their weight on a couple of occasions, but they won't be easy now. So it's, I can see the positives, but as you both said as well, from a Scottish point of view, there's definitely negatives there. So we'll see how they, how, how it gets more challenging for them and we'll see how the sides react to it, but it definitely won't be easy. Uh, what's your W, Campbell? I've already said weather. Oh, so you did. Because we just cleaned over that because we've talked about it. So uh, my W was Wish Our Sports Centre, which we've talked about a little bit already. Um, and the reason why I mention it is not to dwell on it, but the fact that everybody else dwells on it, even now, even people who I speak to who are supporters of the women's game reference that as a point where women's football kind of lost a bit of credibility. And my, my question is, how do we stop stories like that being put out in the way that they were? Because I think, Callum, me and you were both at that game that night. Yeah. Um, it wasn't great. I remember I remember walking down the, the slope to get to the pitch and thinking, Jesus, this is this is grim. But I suppose I was a little bit guilty of it myself in terms of after the game, I was like, this is poor, why are we doing this? But actually the wider media coverage for that was far greater than as if that had been played at a decent game, a decent ground in Glasgow City had won the league kinda ten ten won that night, wasn't it? But Glasgow City had won the league kinda in a normal circumstance if it had been played at Ravens Craig. How do we stop people just looking for the negatives in women's football? I think there's a problem, probably ne- negative. There's a Scottish culture for negatives, and I'm probably guilty, probably all guilty of it, just part of our culture. But um, you're right. If Glasgow City go and win 10-0 that night, um, at, you know, Peter's Hill or or Raymond's Creek, I probably I, 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 I don't mind Raymond's Creek. It's not a great filming um, because of the uh, during the day the sunlight. There'd probably be a complaint if they played at Raymond's Creek because they'd be like, oh, well, they what they. They won the league indoors, um, which is a thing which is thankfully gone in the most part. I know Motherwell, it's just what what their the hand is at the moment, um, and obviously takes the criteria because there is seating and catering and whatnot. Um, but um, we used to play semi-finals and stuff uh, indoor back at the start of the last decade still. Um, but um, I think if it was uh, somewhere like Peter Seller on the ground outdoor and they won the league ten on a midweek night, um, you know. You get like your ten seconds as you would occasionally the STV or, or BBC or whatever BBC Scotland are quite good. They probably should put the highlights that we'd send to them. Um, but there would be not much, you know, from that really. Um, and, and that's kind of 
that really like well, another title, you know, lack of competition, look at the result, didn't help. Didn't help Motherwell didn't they really turn up that night either. I mean we uh, you know about turning up there I think an hour before the game, the only sure the game was going on because this was like the pitch was like awful. But um yeah. it's it's tough. I mean it do, it doesn't help itself. I mean uh, you can change the aspect of the media reporting but and but the problem you kinda get away from the problem and it's very tough and probably I know one or two players kind of tweeted about the kind of conditions and that probably that's how you can latch onto it and turn the story around all the Scotland national team players playing in that um, and stuff but probably the overall writing thing is just it's probably just the Scottish psyche that you know we will kind of focus on negatives far too often and you know we are guilty of not kind of trying to pick positives which was the achievement and I mean and this is probably quite honest that probably I'm probably guilty as well um on on the night, you know, we cover the game on the night, and we, you know, our content wise, choose a lot of good stuff. But I probably kind of probably listening back, I'm quite critical of a person when I look back at work or if I have content, and like ah, put a bit flat that night. Wasn't it? Didn't quite feel the same. Quite, wasn't it? Like Peter's Hill, and you know, going to win a historic, you know, thirteenth title. You know, there's gonna be so hopefully a few good goals. You know, if, if, if City score early, it could be a few goals, or you know, there's gonna be some crackers. There was some cracking goals there. But I kind of everyone was just sort of flat, and the whole atmosphere that night was quite the same. Either there was a lot of celebrations at the end, but it wasn't like you know you could head would do it even if it wasn't Ravens Craig because it, it just everything about it was was tough. So um, yeah, it, it's just it's hard to kind of yeah. It, I think we're all kind of guilty. It just you know it was too, it's kind of easy to focus on that cause. I mean you're trying. I think I guess uh, quite a long answer. I've talked quite a lot of times tonight but um, there's I guess the kind of overriding thing was maybe the argument is that by highlighting it and it is a negative that you're trying to say look you need to sort it out now this can't happen again um, and that's maybe the kind of reverse psyching of, of maybe reporting the negative well and yes it's not the same coverage as if it was one in a conventional ground and you know great which is wrong but perhaps it can open eyes to but there's other things as well, which maybe political about like, well, because the old firm are maybe going to be stronger and more at the top of the table or pushing towards the top of the table, we're going to get more coverage. And people will say, well, that's good, but then why is it taking old firm to kind of be serious? So there are a lot of different facets, and it's going back to some of the other chat about exposure, crowds, this, that, and the other. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing, and you're right to point out the fact that it almost shines a light on a, on a chance to say, look, this is what it is. Don't let it happen again. And I think that's my, that was my take on it that night. It's like, if that ever happens again, it's inexcusable. And I suppose, I think I think the thing that maybe we feel, and I don't know if Campbell and this is a the side point to this, is we want to promote the game as much as possible. And the things that maybe we we are a little bit kind of like, we're not quite sure about that, but we don't put it in the podcast because we want to be positive about it. And it'd be quite good if people who are in a position to kind of be critical and kind of be able to bear the brunt of that kind of did that a little bit too but um yeah let's let's just move on from that and, and let's move on to letter x which okay i'm interested i i what have you got campbell um i went with x-ray hear me out um <laughs> in terms of an x-ray obviously you can see inside bodies to, to bones and things so i've then says with an x-ray we could have a look inside the women's game to see how we can improve it. Although a lot of that's obviously been touched on in terms of attendances and signings and men obviously 
I mean, he's in media coverage, not just what we've talked about there, but I, what are the main things that can be done to improve the women's game? All right, in terms of not repeating ourselves, we've talked about lots of things, Callum. What would be the one, if you had first priority, what would it be? Um, the first thing to improve the women's game, I think, if it, I would say coverage, and um, so I'm not going to say too much more because we kind of talked about that, but improve the women's game in terms of, I mean, there's obviously on-the-pitch product, um, and we've talked about pathways, and hopefully that will gather you know, future players, but um, improve the women's game, probably probably coverage or finance um, or both, um, and I'm still not really answering the question, but it's probably the key area. Cool. I would say that it has to be sustainability driven by coverage. I think it's coverage. I think coverage as much. I think coverage drives it all. I think yeah. you need to have the coverage. Um, if you don't have the coverage, then people aren't going to invest in it. Sponsors aren't going to invest in it. TV companies aren't going to want to broadcast it. So you need to always get the coverage at first point. And I think it's something we talked about a lot in the past, Campbell, in terms of having that coverage where clubs have to do a little bit of leg up themselves, um, which some clubs are very good at, some clubs are getting better at. Um, but you need to do that first before you can then get to that next stage. What was what was your thought when you thought of X-Ray for X? <laughs> Just trying to think of things that began with X, to be honest, I hadn't thought that far <laughs> ahead. Um, well, <laughs> and again, I suppose it's sort of, I think the quality is definitely there in the women's game. Obviously, the national side are doing very well as well, and as we're seeing, a lot more, a lot of them bigger names and things coming to uh, the SWPL as well. So again, just being able to showcase that, and obviously a lot of that comes down to your media coverage, as you're saying, and broadcasting and things, and that's definitely improving with these games on BBC, you know, and Alba and things like that. So if we can keep that up, and then hopefully we can keep putting positive spins on things, then potentially it's going to grow even further um, in the years to come. But I think coverage is definitely the way to begin that. Cool. Coverage seems to be the consensus. What's your ex, Callum? Right, we're getting very. This is the the worst one tonight. Um, for X, I've kind of put X as in like the tens or, or generation X. Is, is, hopefully that counts. Um, and it's a gate. It's kind of we're talking a lot about coverage because it kind of relates to coverage. Is we've kind of now got the streaming of some live games with the BBC. We've got the traditional telly of some as well. Traditional telly of of BBC Alba games. We've got podcasts now like you guys. Um, with the league being younger, perhaps, and you know, there's arguments either way. Perhaps the the Gen X model of podcasts, streaming stuff online, um, is that the path to potentially grow coverage uh, as well as traditional viewing? But is that maybe a key part? It could be club social media as well to engage, and we're seeing with young players, academy players, you know, ourselves, other clubs that clubs are retweeting or sharing stuff that their young players are doing. Is that like new media essentially for that generation? perhaps key for for growing our game. Yeah, I think that's a fair shout. Um, I mentioned TikTok yeah. at some point over the last three hours and 26 minutes and 15 seconds. And um, I I still don't really get TikTok, uh, but I know I've spoke to people who are involved in social media and kind of deal with clubs and work with clubs, and they very much see it as a gateway to getting more fans in and getting more player involvement. 
So I think that's very much it. And I think that women's football, if it's going to grow, has to be at the forefront of that. It ha- like it has to be almost like an innovator. And I think that's where you get the good stuff. Yeah, women's football by being an innovator in that field, whether it's whether it's videos, Twitter feeds or whatever, I think that's how you, you kind of get ahead of the game. And it, it comes back to the idea of something we talked about a long time ago now, which is whether you use women's football as a testing ground for things. And actually, when it comes to social media and content, it's maybe not a bad thing to use as a testing ground because, you know what, with bombs, nobody really notices, but see if it's something bombs in a at a senior level for men's sides. They'll never do it again. But if they try it at women's sides and actually it comes out really well, then it's maybe something to use going forward. But yeah, um, I think new new ways of social media is very important. Uh, my X uh, also involves turning X into a 10. And mine is XIII, which is the Roman numerals for 13, as in 13 in a row, which is what um, Glasgow City have also just achieved. And my question at the back of that is, do they get 14 in a row? Yes. Sure. Advice, yes. Uh, what, what, why you said that very confidently, Callum, so I'll let you make your point. Yeah, and biased. And biased, you kind of touched on earlier, kind of you guys had your predictions for the season ahead. Um, I think out of the two, I think Celtic will be closer than the Rangers because they've they've kind of done their kind of move to pro and stuff. I think some players are not going to be pro, but they're still obviously quality players at the top of the league. Um, they they've kind of brought in they've got a late influence, but whether the Spanish contingent particularly fit in, um, the couple of Americans and um, Jody Bartle that play quite well in the game say so I think they've kind of just edged a few players and I don't think losing Megan Cunningham as much as she's a really good goalkeeper I think a lot of people rave at Chloe Logan so that's fine so I think Celtic will, will be closer and Celtic always seem to have Glasgow City game in the last four or five years they'll be pretty close games in the most part um, Rangers could be there um, pretty close um, and they probably could well be but it's the bedding process because they've basically ripped up an entire squad I don't think they've got an 18 yet I think they've got you know 13, 14 potentially um, Hibs is I slightly worry about their goals I slightly worry I think midfield they're okay um, Rachel Boyle's doing her thing really well and she'll be a key player got a solid defence um, also changing from goals um, so if Alisson will be a player to kind of See what she does coming from Glasgow City, the, the development team. Um, but they they might be just going through a very big transitional year, bigger than last year, and probably I'd put them fourth. So I feel like it'll be closer, obviously. I, I think Celtic will be second, but I still feel Glasgow City. I know they lost um, you know, Nicola Doherty, um, Carl Gerasoli, but I think um, obviously, like, like what Celtic and Rangers have done, bringing in players from abroad can be in you know, a quality different league more physical league um, I think as we've mentioned at the top teams will take points off each other uh, I think the old firm will probably split points from each other um, I think it could be and I'm not trying to shun Hibs but it could well be key games that Hibs against in, in, in the top four I think Hibs could be a bit of a queen maker potentially because um, I think Celtic Rangers and maybe Glasgow might drop points amongst those three but maybe games against Hibs could decide who in the end finishes top. But I still think City might still have that few points in the hand, certainly this season. Um, if if we have this season or when we have this season, because um, I think 
there's too much to do um, in such a short space of time. Um, that's my thoughts. Anyway. I'll tell you what, Campbell, I will ask you then a slightly different question. So Glasgow City and Leon have both won 13 titles in a row at the moment. I've been doing my research. Um, Tafia FC from Vanuatu have won 15 straight titles between 1994 and 2009, meaning they are the current world record holder for a number of titles in a row. Can Glasgow City equal that record or beat it in the next few years? City can, but won't. Um, um, as I mean, if you want to know about Lyon as well, you would imagine they would. I know PSG and teams are improving in France, but Lyon obviously they are the pace setters and always have been in, in France. Sorry, um, no City. I mean, because I've obviously I've said elsewhere, I think Rangers could well win the league. I can't exactly go and change it now, can I? So I, I think City certainly definitely can get a fifteen. I think they're obviously their favourites for many people for obvious reasons this season. So I'm, I'm not going to say they won't. I don't. Well, I have said they won't, but I'm not going to fully rule them out. Kind of thing. It's it's a tough one. Obviously, if they go on and win it this year, then there's no reason why they can't. But you make 15, but the chances are that Celtic Rangers are going to improve even further going into that season as well. And I just have a feeling that it's not going to be long before one of them wins the league ahead of City. Yeah, I think it's an eventuality, but whether or how soon it happens will be an interesting one. I just wanted to get that stat out because I went looking for that stat and Tafia FC are now my <laughs> heroes. Um, okay, two left to go, guys. We're nearly there. Uh, letter Y. Um, I have gone super cheesy and said, you, the fans, people that go to the games, support the clubs, sponsors, people that are listening to this podcast just now, all of you, super sound by me. So that's awesome. Callum, what have you got for Y? Um, young players to watch out for. Um in 2020 um, I can uh, there's quite a few obviously t- talked about the young players that have kind of filter into the league and, and, and have been around um, I've kind of went with a slight Glasgow City kind of look um, there's two or three players I think I mentioned Taylor Hamley and at Hearts but Glasgow women maybe with some controversy have scooped up a lot of young players from basically all the top um, clubs Um You've touched on Lucy Ronald. I think you know, she's a player that you know I enjoy watching um, at the development team level. Never covered any of the games during international breaks. Um, be interesting to see how she gets on. And I think she was given the captain's armband quite early on, so um, so she's got that leader kind of instinct in her. Her and Hannah Scott were two players at that development team that I enjoyed watching, and Hannah Scott went to Hibs um, first team, so that's a big step up. So. Um, mentioned Sophie Allison too, so three or four young players are kind of um, intrigued to see how they get on and when we play football again. What about you guys? Uh, okay, I'll tell you, Campbell, I'll let you answer that and you can give your why and then I'll, I'll round out before we get to Z. Um, well, my why is youth, which is kind of obviously along the similar sort of lines to um, to Callum there, talking about development squads, but we don't have any, obviously. Glasgow women are kind of the main one you look at there. They've obviously got a lot of them, but they've got a crack site up there. And then Craig Joyce have obviously got a manager who knows the majority of these players haven't worked with them before, kind of thing. And they, as we mentioned, Chris could obviously could well be a dark horse. So it'll be interesting how they got on. Lucy Ronald is the star one. I know she's been on here. And um, uh, Callum points out there as well. It was obviously city captain and things, but they've got a good lot of youth players there. So um, yeah. uh, they're the ones you kind of go to. They stand out. I think they could have a good season, but um, 
taken away for that kind of thing. You've got, there's no development scores now. Do either of you think that has improved teams? Obviously, we've mentioned Glasgow women have now got a lot of those players, but the fact that players can now play first team level, whether that's SWBL2 or in the Championship, do you think that's going to help improve them and then improve the teams as well? Or do you think it's going to be a sort of a downside to it? I think it will um, improve the overall quality. I can't really just I can't really justify that with any kind of stats or facts at the moment, just to the nature of Scottish women football. But my instinct is, having watched kind of that kind of under level of women's football, that having these players dispersed around will help. I think you can see that. Uh, Callum mentioned it earlier on, which was the SWFL One South. You had Glasgow City Hibs. Celtic Rangers, Spartans, all in that top top six, uh, top six eight of the, of that league, and actually the teams that went up were Queens Park and and Birmingham are both fourth and fifth, I think, or fifth and sixth in terms of their promotion. So there's obviously the quality there. Um, I think I don't I don't really know enough about players that have I've obviously spoke to Lucy Rollins about it. I've spoke to a couple of other players about it as well in terms of playing in that academy setup, but. Part of me goes, if you're playing for an academy, if it was me, if I was playing for an academy side of a side, I don't know if I would still feel as competitive as if I was playing for a side outright. And, and that maybe is a weird train of thought, maybe not something that agrees with. But I think it's a good thing. I think you will see players move about a lot more. I think you'll also stop. I know we were talking about like tiers of the youth leagues earlier on, but I think actually having it like that means that you're going to have a ceiling now for players, as opposed to beforehand where actually... Development side, you go up to 23, which is quite old in women's football terms, if I'm if I'm being honest. So I think that's a good thing. But what's what's your take on it? Obviously, Glasgow City do a lot of coverage of their uh, kind of youth and development side as well. Um, what's what's your take on it, Cal? Um, well, let's see. Last year, I mean, the last couple of years, it was there was a lot of kind of competitive nature with the, the development side that was there at the time. Craig Joyce in charge of it. Because they kind of, they'd reformed kind of that development team, um, and most of the players are you know in that were I think between sort of 16 and 19 and 20. Um, I think the only one, and that's perhaps a, a pretty rare kind of thing to look at now because it probably is a rare example. But you had someone like Nicola Reid in the development team that Glasgow City played in SWFL2, I think, I can't remember if it was Blackburn or something like that in SWFL2 a couple of years ago, and then. Um, they signed Nicola Reid, who someone, I think, 26, 27, um, you know, and she actually has played some games towards the end of the season for, for the first team, which, you know, it's, it's quite a story, actually, that she's actually made that level. She's left the club now, as far as I know, but she kind of made it to that level from, you know, signing later on in her, in her age, because they're allowed to obviously sign a player in that, that level, because um, it was a senior league, so they can't do that now. Uh, but I've found that the last two years have been absolutely wanting to win everything and, and want to relish the challenge. Um, and, you know, two or three of those players are still around and, and they're playing under-19s. I think, I don't know about Glasgow City, but I wonder if some players have thought, well, under-19s maybe isn't. Those that are maybe in the development teams across whatever club it is that found under-19s, maybe they felt it's a step backwards when it probably isn't. It could well be very competitive because they are players at the same level. They maybe played in that SWFL one. Now just it's just your guys' league kind of thing. Um, but yeah, well, some of have left and you know went to kind of SWPL two clubs, and we'll see if progression to that uh, another level up. Well, a couple of, you know, no, that, but one level up. If that will, 
if that'll make them. And, and you know, Glasgow women went to watch. I went to watch if they'll cope as a collective was eight percent of that squad are, you know, under kind of nineteen twenty. If that'll well, that'll work, certainly this season. Um, if they get a season, but um, I think the young teams because you look at um as well the side. I've covered a lot of the the, the SWFL one and two cup finals last few years, and you had Celtic and Hibs academies in those games in the final, um, and you know I think some years played kind of senior sides, and um, absolutely loved it. And I think I kind of thought that was quite a good kind of game when you seen like these under twenty three whippers snappers, and most of them were kind of under eighteens playing, you know, maybe senior kind of women's sides, um, but. The senior women's sides maybe not at the same level, but will find that actually it's a better league for them. So, um, but no, I, I think if you're young and hungry, if you're in a development um, team or whatnot, you have also aspirations to play for a first team or play at a decent level if you're maybe not going to make the first team at, um, at one of the top four, five, six clubs. Yeah, right. Okay, we are at the final letter. We're at letter Z. Um, I'm going to give. Since Callum started this all back at later day, I'm going to give Callum the opportunity to start for later Z. So what do you have got for Z? Um, I went for a nostalgic one and I went for Zurich, which um, harks back to well, the best comeback um, I've seen pretty much um, in, in any football game. Really, it's probably I don't know, I don't know if it's a, if it's my favourite Glasgow City game that I've ever seen or covered. Um, uh, you could argue probably might still be the cup final in November, kind of maybe just nudges it. Bronby, kind of the story and the penalty shout was exciting, but the actual um, home leg was obviously pretty terrible the first 45 minutes. Um, the away game was obviously quite exciting and tense. But um, for anyone that doesn't know, and I just to look out for the highlights, um, the, well, the two comebacks that year, Glasgow City, um, they lost 2 0 to Merrick Conan in the last 32 Polish champions, and then um, they won 3-2 after extra time, um, which is quite a comeback. Um, I guess they probably shouldn't have lost 2-0 um, across there, even though they were an, an OK team, decent team. Um, Zurich, probably just a, a, a smidgen step up from SWPL, a bit step up, not like grand, a bit like maybe Bronby um, this year, a bit of a step up. They were, I think, full-time. Um, Glasgow City lost 2-1 in the um, first leg away, but Fiona Brown got an away goal. I think was I think Nicola Dockery was sent off in the first leg as well um, in Switzerland. Um, second leg, um, all sorts of hijinks went on in the the first half. Um, the Alexander broke her collarbone to still finish the first half, and then Zurich scored. So they were one 0 down City, and they needed a couple of goals um, to take it to extra time. They got a couple of goals, but then um, Zurich made it two all, and then the kind of famous ending. Um, which was a penalty, um, I think, in there. Um, or no, Joe Love, sorry, uh, scored a, a screamer. And then the um, cross that came in, the free kick that came in for Sue Lappin to score ahead of about seven or eight minutes ago. And still comes at the commentary because I think it sounds awful, but um, just the whole place kind of erupted at the Excelsior Stadium. And um, yeah, so one of the best comebacks ever, um, one of the best games I've ever seen. Um, maybe the cup finals, maybe just tweaked above that now um, but that was a you know a pretty a, a great memory I've had over the last few years and uh, I semi-apologise for going nostalgic on self-indulgence for the last letter 
Not a problem because it means I can then plug the 2019 Where Are They squad uh, looking yeah. for the 2015 tournament. As I say, it was incredible running that when I was looking into it. So, yeah, if you want to read about the squad from the PSG game that followed on from that Zurich game, then go to Leading the Line and have a look at that. Campbell, what's your Z? Um, I went with Zoom, which is obviously <laughs> emerged during the, emerged during the uh, lockdown and it's been good actually for video calls kind of keep teams together and obviously it's been useful for a lot of them well like um, training sessions and what have you like sort of fitness kind of things that they're all doing um, over these as well and obviously it's what for quizzes things like that as well so it's definitely been good to keep everyone together so everyone's not almost been like separated um, apart with it, but obviously you can't see each other in person so why not do it online and it's been one that a lot of football teams thought that kind of had to be in there yeah, ironically, we're doing this on Skype and not Zoom because we can't record on Zoom without paying for it, where we can with Skype, which is good. <laughs> um, my Z um, was Zola Affley, who is a coach at Burnmere Thistle. That's all I have. So um, I think I think we've probably done enough. I think we're probably good. I think we've probably done all right. Um, that is the A to Z of Scottish women's football. Um, you are listening to part to be confirmed, probably part three, I think, by the time by the time I look at this. Um, thank you very much, first of all, to Campbell Finlayson. Um, good to catch up with you on a podcast. Um, I'm sure we'll speak again soon. Yep, we'll certainly have something. And Cam Patterson, a debut podcast that lasts three and three quarter hours. I mean, don't think very many people do that. Yeah, I know. And I'm up in about six hours time to take my girlfriend to work at the hospital to the nurse, so uh, cheers for that, boys. But no worries, it was good fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll give her a wee round of applause because I know we missed that um, earlier on. Yeah, that. absolutely. Absolutely. Well, no problem. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Remember, you can subscribe to Leading the Line on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, all usual gaff. Go to leadingthelane.com to see some articles we've put up there. Um, and for now, stay safe. And we will speak again soon.